You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Time lapse video of the event that stopped millions in their tracks today. The solar eclipse. It doesn't happen often. In fact, this is the first time in nearly 40 years, which is why everyone's been buzzing about it today. Good evening and thanks very much for joining us. Excitement for the rare celestial event has been building for weeks now. And for those who captured a glimpse of the partial eclipse here in B.C., it was 100% thrilling. Nitu Garcha reports from Victoria, the city with the best view in Canada. Oh my gosh, it's amazing. All eyes are on the sky. Can see the little... As hundreds marvel at this rare phenomenon from atop Mount Talmy. It was really cool. I never saw anything like that. It was like a cookie and then like someone took a bite of it. You think the sun's yellow, but the sun was red and the thing, and it was just like so cool. At 10.21 a.m. Pacific, the solar eclipse reached its peak. At that precise time, about 90% of southern BC's view of the sun was blocked by the moon. The the dimming light, it really was spooky. Uh, you know, it's sort of eerie, made you give you shivers. The absence of the sun's heat could be felt. Like Victoria, Vancouver's temperature dropped. It's getting a little duskier, and I imagine that... Uh before we knew about uh, the celestial bodies, this would have really freaked us out. Thousands outside Science World <laughs> clearly hit with eclipse excitement. Wow. wow. It's wonderful. This is a very special thing. But the best view in the country is in BC's capital. Oh, we all live in uh, Tofino, so we all just came down here just to see the eclipse. It looks like, um, like a crescent moon now. Ann Potter came down from Nanaimo, donning viewing glasses she's used before. With my little eclipse viewing guide. <laughs> From 1999. <laughs> Those with glasses gladly sharing, many waiting in line to gaze through a telescope, others catching a glimpse with their own homemade projectors. It's like the shape of a moon with half of it missing. The next chance to see the Earth, Moon and Sun align like this in the Northwest is in 2045. I'm 68, so it's unlikely I will see another eclipse like this. Um, so, yes, I will remember it. Need to Garcha, Global News, Victoria. Breaking news now in connection with a suspicious death in Surrey over the weekend. The Integrated Homicide Investigation Team identifies the victim as a 19-year-old Edmonton man. Ramina Day is live at RCMP headquarters with more on the investigation and what we know. Ramina? Chris, we don't have a ton of detail about this individual, but we can tell you that he is 19. As you just mentioned, his name is Tanner Krupa of Edmonton, Alberta. Surrey RCMP first responded to a report of an altercation in Surrey early Sunday morning at around 5 a.m., and that's when they found Krupa's body in a back alley. IHIT is not releasing the cause of death at this point. Krupa, they say, had moved to B.C. recently for work, but IHIT is not saying where he was employed. He was not known to police. The motive, still a mystery tonight. So it is very early in the the very early stages of the investigation and we are not certain if it was targeted but that is one of the priorities of our investigators but in order to piece together what happened to Mr. Krupa we are asking that anyone with information anyone that was in the area at that time to come forward and speak with one of our investigators and in particular the friends the co-workers that knew Mr. Krupa. 
Now, homicide investigators are still trying to track Krupa's movements before he died. That's why they say that it's crucial that people come forward with information. Chris. All right. Thanks, Ramina. And a 22-year-old West Vancouver man is now facing a charge of excessive speeding. Yeehaw Wang is accused of driving his white Ferrari over the Lionsgate Bridge at close to four times the speed limit back in July. The supercar was clocked at 210 kilometers an hour. That's a 60-kilometer-an-hour zone. His vehicle was impounded for 60 days. He's also been handed a 16-month driving prohibition, although this is the fourth time his Ferrari has been impounded, at least twice for excessive speeding on the exact same bridge. A terrifying experience for a Gibson's family when a large black bear wandered into their home. It happened over the weekend, but they're talking about it now. The bear coming through the sliding glass door. The homeowner and her two children hid in a bedroom as the bear roamed from room to room. A neighbor banging pots and pans managed to get the bear partially out of the house. But it wasn't until a family friend punched the bear in the nose and slammed the door on it that it actually retreated outside. Mom, look. And I looked around my friend, and there was a bear standing exactly where I'm standing right now in my house, and my two year old not two feet away from him. And uh, I just kind of gasped. This, the bear paw marks here on the glass. This is him trying to get in all these streaks on the glass. And then there's actually teeth marks all along here from him trying to get in. Police arrived and scared the bear away, but it later returned, chasing a man down the street. Conservation determined that due to the bear's aggressive actions and lack of fear of humans, it had to be put down. Vancouver is one of only a few major North American cities without ride-sharing services like Uber. It's a surprise to many international visitors, but that may be about to change if the B.C. Green Party has anything to do with it. Tanya Beja explains how leader Andrew Weaver is hitting the accelerator on adopting this new technology, even if the NDP aren't quite ready. When you're the leader of a provincial political party, time is a precious commodity and getting from one meeting to another a priority. I personally um, nearly missed a couple of press conferences in downtown Vancouver, specifically because I was unable to get taxis. BC Green leader Andrew Weaver hoping to fix that problem by bringing Uber to town. Weaver will introduce a bill this fall enabling ride-sharing in BC. We believe it's critical to send a signal to the international community that we're willing to embrace that new technology. Vancouver is a holdout among major North American cities when it comes to ride-sharing. I'd be personally really excited for Uber or Lyft to, to come to British Columbia. As far as I'm concerned, they can find somewhere else to go, just improve it, you know, release more taxi licenses. I think it's a great idea. I think um, it gives people choices and it's always good to have choices. We already have transit, we already have great ways to get from one place to another as it is. Maybe we should just improve what we already have. BC's Taxi Association says it won't fight the move but wants rideshare drivers held to the same standards with criminal record checks and vehicle inspections. There has to be public safety. We have no problem with any TNCs coming to BC provided there has to be even playing field. The proposed bill will include a mandate for ICBC to offer a new category of insurance for Uber and Lyft drivers. BC's transportation minister issued a statement saying creating a ride-sharing system is a priority and the government is working on a fair approach. 
Uh, I think they need to be pushed in that direction um, because, frankly, it, if it's not pushed, it's not necessarily a priority. Weaver will introduce his bill in October. Tanya Beja, Global News. An aggressive new fire burning near Harrison Lake is human-caused, according to the Wildfire Service. You can see a lot of thick smoke in the area today. The fire is near Slolicum Creek and can be seen from the marina at Harrison Hot Springs. It started Saturday night, growing very quickly from 6 hectares to 30. Fueled by strong winds and dry conditions, it's now estimated at 50 hectares, and it's 0% contained. Despite some setbacks in B.C.'s liquid natural gas industry, the industry is still advancing with the expansion of the Tilbury Island storage facility. Over the weekend, a fire broke out there, but was quickly extinguished. And it got people thinking what precautions are in place to ensure surrounding communities are not in danger. Aaron MacArthur reports. The damage is extensive. The construction at the Tilbury LNG plant has stopped while an investigation determines why the refrigeration unit exploded Saturday morning. We did have uh, a couple people treated. Uh, one person injured uh, went to the hospital for treatment, uh, but they're back and released and, and actually back on site now. This is the first fire at Tilbury since it opened in 1971. The expansion touted as a possible smaller source for BC's LNG export industry, much like wood fiber in Howe Sound. People who have concerns about LNG saying there is not enough certainty about accidents at these type of plants. It just highlights that it doesn't matter how safe the industry says it is, accidents do happen and we need to be prepared for a worst case scenario. Any industrial complex people get concerned when there's fire in your own home and, and rightfully so. I think you know the LNG industry has a very long track record of safe operations. The fire on Saturday was out in a matter of minutes. The fire suppression system turned on instantly, and Delta Fire was on scene within nine minutes. This facility has a special response plan from Delta Fire for obvious reasons. We have uh, really good communications between our training department and the staff at the LNG plant. We have a pretty good plan. Fortunately for us, we haven't really had to activate it until last Saturday. While the work on the new plant is on hold, the existing facility, one of only two in B.C., is still up and running, delivering LNG to trucking companies and to BC ferries. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. A man has died after suffering serious burns in a trailer fire in Abbotsford. Crews were called to the commercial truck repair business on 3rd Avenue near the Sumas border crossing last night. When they arrived, they found a 45-year-old man with severe injuries. He died a short time later. It's not yet known what caused the fire, WorkSafe BC, the fire department, and police are all investigating. Vancouver has hit a dubious milestone, already surpassing the number of overdose deaths seen in the city last year. And there's still four months to go. Grace Key explains how the city is asking all levels of government to do more to address the crisis. I use heroin, yeah. I saw it too, I don't know. His name is Jeremy, and he's one of the many faces in Vancouver's downtown east side. When it comes to a solution on how to tackle the opioid death crisis, he's not short on opinions. I don't think that, um, using drugs to uh, get rid of another drug is a, is a way, man, straight up. Create more programs, create more recovery homes, or more stricter, you know what I mean? 
Eight months into the year and so far, the number of overdose deaths in the city of Vancouver has already surpassed all of last year's total. There are 232 deaths so far this year and the city expects more than 400 by the end of 2017. The city's first responders handle on average 135 calls a week. It's not slowing down and there is a still continued need for urgent action. Mary Claire Zack is Vancouver's Managing Director for Social Policy. The city is calling on more overdose prevention sites, the expansion of addictions treatment, including injectable options, services and supportive housing. And Zach says there is a serious need for drug policy reform. The ultimate solution to this would be to legalize illicit drugs in this country and make it safe for illicit drug users provide the treatment on demand when people need the treatment and treat addictions like an illness that it is. After spending the day visiting frontline services in Victoria, the mental health and addictions minister released a statement saying it is apparent that there are gaps in services and there is more we need to do. Last spring, a public health emergency was declared in response to illicit overdose deaths, many related to fentanyl. Province-wide, there have been 780 deaths at the end of June, and that's expected to surpass the nearly 1,000 deaths all of last year. Grace Key, Global News. The rush to redevelop Vancouver properties leads to some eye-popping listings along the Canby Corridor where thousands of condos are being built. This single home stands alone in more ways than one. It just hit the market for $11 million, double what it sold for only a year ago. Why the owner is expecting such a huge payoff in just over a minute. The final violent act of the Barcelona terror suspect. What happened when Spanish authorities closed in coming up? And the Secret Service short of cash. Why it's burning through money in the execution of its presidential duties. Still to come on the news hour. Now, aside from a few minor blips over the past decade, Vancouver has enjoyed a seller's market in real estate. But a new listing along the Canby Street corridor might set a new precedent for inflated asking prices. Ted Chernecki explains how the teardown behind him listed for $11 million, double what it sold for a little over a year ago, Ted. That's right, Chris. $11 million. Hasn't sold for that price, but that is the asking price. And a year ago, it sold for about $5 million. Clearly, somebody thinks this is a flipper's market. Expectedly, the Camby Street corridor has become some of the hottest real estate in the Lower Mainland. With the Canada line rumbling underfoot, developers have been snapping up single-family homes. Like this house was like uh, our bad one. Two million. It's always good to be the last holdout and then be holding on to a corner lot. Not much is going to happen here without this 65-year-old bungalow coming down. And the company that purchased it one year ago for about $5 million knows it. Which is why it's now asking $11 million one year later in a brazen real estate flip. There's a lot of risk. Uh, the housing market could have gone south over the last year. This uh, buyer and seller, they're making a lot of money uh, in the world we live in today, but there's other worlds in which they would have lost money. They took a risk. They made a lot of money. Nothing wrong with that. Ah, but this capital gains tax to deal with. A private homeowner who flips a property pays 42% tax on half the amount the property has increased in value, but a corporation only pays 15%. I think that corporations have always got preferential tax treatment to promote business, right? So what they're doing is completely legal, but maybe we need some tax legislation revamp. 
It's true that housing in the path of development gets more expensive, but the extra development creates more supply, which lowers prices. That increase in the housing supply and theoretical lowering of the cost of real estate eventually can't come soon enough for all those outside of the market looking in. Right now, I'm renting, and I think for like a couple of years at least after I finish school, it's still going to be renting. And again, Chris, realtors we've spoken to do not believe this property will sell for anywhere near $11 million. We're also told the seller, who is 80 years old, was urged to hang on for a year or two because of all the development going up and down the Canby Street corridor, but he decided he wanted to get rich by getting out. And he's currently in Ireland and hopefully hasn't heard the news. Back to you. All right. Thanks very much. Ted Chernecki reporting in Vancouver. Frozen out by a fridge warranty. We know we wouldn't be getting a fridge if it wasn't for consumer matters. Why they had to call Global News to get some satisfaction. And design students put hours into these paper creations. Wait till you hear what happens to them once the PE is over. Here's a treat demystifying warranties for when your big purchase has problems. Andrea has one buyer's frustrating story involving a fridge and what happened when they called you. Well, Good things happen, but a lot of consumers will relate to this next story. Thanks for that, Chris. When you purchase a product under warranty, who honors that warranty? Is it the retailer who sold you the product or the manufacturer? We caught up with a consumer who was battling a mountain of confusion with her warranty and came to Consumer Matters for help. Companies should be held accountable for what they put in writing and have it mean something. Heather Anderson's fridge sits empty. Back in May, her LG fridge stopped working. Heather says after four long weeks of pushing for assistance, a technician came out to her home to take a look. From what we understood verbally, it was a compressor issue and that the technician said that they should be replacing the fridge. Heather purchased the fridge at Home Depot and says she contacted the retailer right away. They actually had got involved to try and deal with LG as well. And she confirmed that they had told her that we were approved for a replacement. But soon after, Heather says she received an email from LG Electronics Canada stating that when a technician cannot repair an appliance and the customer is out of warranty, a prorated amount is offered towards a new LG unit. Heather was offered $996.73. Heather says she was shocked, especially considering the fridge was purchased in 2011 and according to paperwork, still under warranty. There's nowhere in the warranty that they talk about prorated. Heather contacted Home Depot again about LG's prorated offer. They said, you know what, that wasn't their understanding either. They expected that it would be replaced. And so she was going to push it up to her management team to follow up. But Heather says she was getting no results. After waiting two and a half months for a resolution, she came to Consumer Matters for help. We contacted Home Depot and within 24 hours were told Heather would be getting a replacement fridge. Home Depot apologizing for the long delay, stating, According to our vendor partner, LG, there was a mechanical issue that involved the compressor. While the warranty would have covered the enclosed system, the part was no longer available and the customer was advised they would receive a replacement fridge. We know we wouldn't be getting a fridge if it wasn't for consumer matters. When it comes to warranties, this civil litigation lawyer says it's important to read them carefully. Depending on the terms of the warranty, what you want to do is... uh deal with the person who sold you the actual warranty. So if if they're responsible for providing replacement parts or, or replacing the item completely, then that's who you would be dealing with. And if there's a dispute over the warranty and the consumer still feels entitled to that warranty, they can seek remedy in small claims court.
Now, we requested an on-camera interview with Home Depot to talk further about Heather's case, but we were told there was not a spokesperson in the region at this time. As for Heather Anderson, she will be getting an equivalent fridge model, and it will come with a five-year extended warranty. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can reach me. There's my email address at consumermatters.globalnews.ca. Great stuff. Thanks very much, Ann. The salmon fishery is still a huge economic force in our province, but a new study from SFU shows we're doing a terrible job protecting it. Several policy changes have been made trying to preserve salmon stocks. Unfortunately, as Linda Aylesworth points out, many of those decisions have been made without adequate research. With rare exceptions, B.C. sockeye salmon returns have fallen below government forecasts for the past 12 years. This year, the 4.5 million predicted to return to the Fraser River is now expected to be a third that size. This year's salmon returns are dismal. We're seeing one of the worst returns on record across B.C., mostly due to inhospitable ocean conditions brought on by warming Pacific Ocean waters. What we saw during that time was quite a change in the organisms that were Uh, in the water column, which are effectively the food supply for juvenile salmon when they make their way to the ocean. But a recent report out of Simon Fraser University is critical of the federal government's managing of the situation, citing in particular the erosion of salmon stream monitoring over the years, where 1,500 data collection trips were made to B.C. salmon streams annually in the 1980s. Today, only 500 are. The record low monitoring levels that we're seeing are basically carryover from the cuts that were done by the previous federal government. But unfortunately, the current federal government hasn't yet got around to increasing those monitoring levels. Things do take time to get in place. I mean, we need to obviously hire people to take on the work. Monitoring streams matters because, in the words of one of the report's authors, you can't manage salmon if you don't know how they're doing. And while the Fraser River sockeye fishery has been closed, critics are concerned about other fisheries, citing a recent opening along the central coast. Then after they checked the few streams that they still monitor, they realized that there were very few fish and they closed the fisheries. Back in May, the federal fisheries minister promised $1.4 million to rehabilitate the department. It's rehabilitation that critics say can't happen soon enough. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Turns out presidential security is very expensive. You need to have fresh, well-trained agents available for protection why the Secret Service might have to increase its budget. And an urgent search for 10 U.S. sailors, the disaster at sea prompting the U.S. Navy to suspend operations all over the globe. A widespread search operation is underway for 10 American sailors after their ship hit an oil tanker off the coast of Singapore. The collision left a gaping hole along the waterline of the USS John McCain. No one on the other ship was hurt, and there was no oil spill. Along with the ten missing sailors, five others were injured in the collision. My thoughts and prayers are with the sailors and the families of the USS John McCain. Um, We obviously have an investigation underway, uh, and that will determine what happened. This is the second collision involving a U.S. destroyer in as many months. Seven sailors died when the USS Fitzgerald was struck by a container ship back in June. The chief of the Secret Service says the agency is running out of money. 
due in part to President Donald Trump's large family and multiple properties. With more than four months to go before the end of the year, the agency says it's run out of money to pay the hundreds of agents that it needs to protect the president. They are the first line of defense with no room for error. But the Secret Service now says by year's end, roughly 1,100 agents already putting in brutally long hours will not be getting paid for that extra work. They're being stretched thin in part by President Trump's frequent travel, spending nearly every weekend since his inauguration at his properties in Florida, New Jersey, and Virginia. Agents are now protecting 42 people, including 18 Trump family members with their jet-setting lifestyle, business, and pleasure. Tiffany Trump lounging on a yacht in Italy, Eric Trump's Uruguay trip, costing Americans nearly $100,000 for agents' hotel rooms alone. The Secret Service director texts Alice tonight saying it's an ongoing issue that cannot be attributed to the current administration's protection requirements alone. Earlier, telling USA Today, the president has a large family and our responsibilities required in law. I can't change that. I have no flexibility. You need to have fresh, well-trained uh, agents available you know, for protection. It's going to take a toll in terms of morale on the agents. By law, those agents can't make more than $160,000 in salary and overtime. The agency is now working with Congress on a financial fix to better support the president's elite protective force. Peter Alexander, NBC News, the White House. Police in Spain say they have shot dead the man wanted for mowing down pedestrians in the heart of Barcelona last week. At least 15 people were killed and dozens of others were injured. Yunus Abu Yaqub was located in a small town outside the city wearing what appeared to be an explosives vest. Terry Okita has the latest. Spanish police shot and killed 22-year-old Moroccan-born Yunus Abuyakoub, believed to be the driver of a van that plowed through the crowded Las Ramblas promenade in Barcelona Thursday. Authorities called in the bomb squad when they saw Abuyakoub wearing what looked like an explosives belt. Although an international manhunt had been underway, the shooting happened only 30 miles west of Barcelona, in a town called Subirats. Spanish newspaper El País published a security camera photo of Abu Yacoub walking through a popular market near Las Ramblas. Police believe he later killed a man in a carjacking during his escape. Authorities say he was part of a 12-man terror cell that carried out two vehicle attacks in Barcelona and Cambrils. Only four of the 12 are still alive and have been arrested. The men all had links to the small town of Ripoll, where authorities believe they've been plotting a more elaborate attack using three vans packed with explosives. They aborted that plan when the gas canisters they'd been storing exploded. In Barcelona, mourners continue to leave candles and flowers along Las Ramblas. Among the victims who died, seven-year-old Australian Julian Cadman, described by his school as a delightful, beloved second grader. Julian's mother is still hospitalized. Terry Okita, CBS News, London. You may think high blood pressure is a problem only for older people, but under new guidelines from the American Academy of Pediatrics, Doctors expect to see an increase in hypertension in children and adolescents. Dr. John Torres explains why. As a junior volunteer firefighter, 16-year-old Cheyenne Cameron has learned to handle pressure, including her own high blood pressure. I always felt like my heart was racing. I also thought, oh, 
high blood pressures for like when you're old. That common misconception, all the more reason today's new screening guidelines are so important. The increase in the prevalence of hypertension in kids, I think is really driven by the rising prevalence of childhood obesity. The new guidelines recommend pediatricians check blood pressure every year starting at age three. Younger, if a child was born premature, which increases the risk of hypertension. Ask parents about the family history. Suggest better diet and exercise first. If that fails, medication may be necessary. While being overweight is just one sign a child may have high blood pressure, doctors stress many body types can develop the condition and without warning. Hypertension is often called the silent killer, and most children with high blood pressure don't have any symptoms at all. Since her diagnosis and with regular monitoring, Cheyenne lost 60 pounds, is off all blood pressure medication, and making the most of summer on her family's farm. She has life goals now, and it's exciting to see her planning her future. She's a joy. Everyone enjoys a day at the PNE, including one of the many actors in town shooting right now. You recognize this one? And the stunt community comes out for a good cause, putting on a spectacular show for a lot of kids who could really use it. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. So, do you recognize this Hollywood actor? His dark socks and sunglasses helped him blend in at the PE yesterday. We'll tell you who it is after the forecast. Keep in mind, the sun can be a lethal weapon if you don't have the right sunglasses to look at that eclipse. It was perfect, though, today. Everyone could see it across I like, the I like the, I like the photo, too. I noticed the, mm -hmm. the shadows were all weird today. Yeah, so that was what you enjoyed about it. I thought that was pretty cool as well. The thing I thought was so cool is that it felt really eerie, and it, it was almost like it had artificial light during the eclipse. So I thought that was pretty cool. So thanks to Kate Hill for sending us that. Yeah, you saw a lot of these shadows out there today. Perfect viewing, clear skies across southern BC, but the interior had a tough time in some areas, and that is great news. So a few scattered showers pushing in through areas from Quinell down through Williams Lake. We haven't had reports as to whether this has helped the situation from BC Wildfire Service just yet. I'm sure we'll hear from them uh, tomorrow morning as to how that has uh, hopefully aided the situation, because I looked at the winds and we're not seeing much winds so moisture and no winds is good news for that area now what we're watching is this cold front here so we have one more mostly dry day on the way and then this cold front will slide down and then we've got a little upper level trough in behind it so that means more cloud and scattered showers starting late wednesday here's what it will look like wednesday afternoon the cloud cover this is the cold front spreading across the central interior all the way down through the south coast so yes we will see more cloud and a slight chance of showers and then in behind it another wave so late wednesday through our thursday a little unsettled hopefully we won't see too much wind and more moisture than uh and then actual wind but this is your tomorrow so that was late wednesday that i was talking about earlier this is your tomorrow so most of the moisture across the north coast inland regions like prince george and quinnell you'll see a mix of sun and cloud you have a very slight chance of an isolated thunder shower and that extends down into williams lake but generally dry and hot and low Local smoke expected across all regions from Kamloops right down into the southern interior and up into the central interior Caribou region as well.
well. South Coast, another hot one, 24 to 27 degrees for Metro Vancouver. Sunny to start on Wednesday, but then we'll see increasing cloud with that chance of showers, and that takes us into Thursday as well. Feels like temperatures will be quite high tomorrow as well, so closer to 31, 32 with that humidex. And then we're back to sunshine over the weekend. Gerda celebrating 100th uh, birthday today. Congratulations. And two couples celebrating anniversaries, Diana and Phil Phillips and Pat and Earl Hobenshield from Kispjoks. Uh, and they're having a 200-person celebration tonight. So congratulations. Here's our wind- weather window. Lighten up the mood for Dave. Or Dave Alexander sent this, and this is Max in Nanaimo checking out the eclipse. All Very prepared. Cool. Yeah, he's got the right glasses, at least, mm-hmm. for watching the planets. But how about a little star spotting at the PNE? We showed you the picture before the forecast. Were you able to figure out who the actor is? That's Mel Gibson hanging out with Howard Blank. Blank showed Gibson and his daughter around at the PNE yesterday. They saw all the sights, even topped it off with some ribs. Gibson's in town working on a film with Vince Vaughn. Blank is part of a local film company that's partnered with unified films on the production got to show mel gibson around hey big shout out to stunt coordinator danny virtue for putting on a great fundraising event out at his ranch near mission yesterday danny gets all his buddies in the stunt community to come out and put on a show for about 300 kids and their families all from different organizations supported by the danny virtue foundation there was a motorcycle demonstration, a stunt woman in flames, wrestlers, including cowboy Casey Wright. You recognize him, the young cancer survivor you've seen on our station many times. And Danny even brought out Billy, the 600-pound grizzly bear. So thanks to the men and women from Stunts Canada for putting their lives on the line in the line of work. Good times by everyone out at the ranch. Thanks for the trip out there. William enjoyed it as oh, yeah, well. Oh, yeah, we were quite, there. Quite fun, yeah. Were any of those stunts yours? Were you no. on fire? Did you do the two-wheel thing? No, and I thought about you because they also did some high drops off a scissor <laughs> lift, so it was about 50 feet up into an airbag. Yeah, that no, sounds like a lot of Would you rather be lit on fire? <laughs> no, I'll jump into the airbag. Oh. Yeah? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't have said that. Uh, well, <laughs> heights or fire? I'm going with heights. Yeah, cool if I heights. have to do with a choice. Good, okay. Yeah. Um, you know, you kind of need a vacation day when you come back from vacation. Yes. You ever notice that? It doesn't matter what you do for a living. Uh, because of that, because I'm not quite back in the groove yet, I'm going to let Jay help us with the promo. Here we go. Just ahead in sports, we'll introduce you to five-time BC Strongest Man, Chris Davies. I think that tire's like 750. Big man and a big hill update all coming up. Big strong dude. Yes, and the paper bag princess, Langara design students show off their dressmaking talents using some unusual material at the PNE. Hashtag Savage on uh, YouTube and in Twitter has been pretty amazing. It's Adam Big Hill. And you see how he works out? Oh, well, he was like that with the Lions, but he's been impressing him down in New Orleans. Yeah. He knows the playbook. Like This guy came prepared to make the football team. Doing well. He is doing well. And our coverage of Adam Big Hill's road to sainthood continues after another huge game for New Orleans last night, second preseason game for the Saints. It included Big Hill, who incidentally won the Saints team award for best condition player. He picked off a pass that sealed a 13-7 win over the L.A. Chargers. Quite frankly, I would be very surprised if he does not make the team the way he has played in practice so far. Here's the pick last night that ended it. This is typical Big Hill. Goes back, falling backwards takes this one away. I think we got one more look at it. 
There we go. Shortest guy on the field. Yeah, 5'10", and picks that one off. Let's hear from Adam Bakehill after that big game. Uh, obviously, obviously, I'm in improvement mode. I mean, every every practice, every day, uh, you got to take it, and uh, it's your game day. Every day is uh, is important to go out and compete and show what you can do. And um, you know, I'm just focused on showing this club on how I can help uh, win games. Well, because of their big win over Venezuela yesterday, the Little Leaguers from White Rock and South Surrey have two chances to make the semifinals at the Little League World Series. They can do it with a win over Japan on Wednesday. If they don't beat Japan in that game, they could still get to the semifinals through a backdoor game because it's a double knockout and White Rock is 2-0. and It's been rare for Canadian teams to get to the Final Four at the Little League World Series. We did it, I think, three times in the 90s, but no Canadian team has made the championship game since 1965, and no Canadian team has won the Little League World Series. But this group has looked powerful all season long. Maybe, maybe this is the team. This is the Junior World Series. I wanted to show this on the weekend. Great play from the weekend. Watch this guy. Young man go right over the fence for the catch for Pennsylvania. At first they said, yeah, that's a good catch. And they said, no, it's not a good catch. And then they overturned it and said, yeah, that's a good catch. It wasn't a good catch. It was a great catch. Premier League today, Wayne Rooney, referee not showing the Whoa, watch out, man. Wayne Rooney, 200th career Premier League goal. Only two men have scored 200 goals in the Premier League. The other one is Alan Shearer. That gives Everton a 1-0 lead over Man City, the team many think might win the Premiership this year. Man City down the 10 men, but does tie. Raheem Sterling. Very impressive. One more look. And 1-1 is the way it ended. Man City and Everton. Chris Davies is the strongest man in B.C. In fact, he's the strongest man in Western Canada. But he wisely never agrees to help anyone move furniture. He gets asked all the time, help me move, you're a strong guy. Nope, not doing it. He only lifts heavy things in training and in competition. Chris Davies has been working up a sweat in the world of strongman competitions for over a decade now. 350 pound stones, no problem. What he lifts, how often he lifts it, and how much these objects individually and collectively weigh will blow your mind and your triceps. Heaviest object you've ever lifted? Um, we just did a show in Regina, War of the West, and it's probably the heaviest show that's ever been in Western Canada. Um, the tire flip was close to 1,100 pounds. And the yoke walk, which is like walking with a squat bar where the weights hang down by your feet, um, that was closer to 950, almost 1,000 pounds. If you calculate it out, like you can calculate the competition, how many reps you've done, sometimes it can be like, something close to 5,000 pounds. The weight of the various objects Chris manhandles in the gym and strongman competitions is nothing compared to the weight of the world he felt as a child. Growing up in a rough part of East Vancouver, Chris was bullied as a youngster. Too poor to afford organized sports, the gym became his refuge. If you come from a background not much money, um, gym memberships are cheap at the community center. I think I used to pay like seven bucks almost a month because you get the kids right. So I mean, going to the gym was a good place for me and my me and my couple of my friends to go, and we would just escape, and it was something you know something to do, and it was cheap as well because like I couldn't afford to play football. Um, baseball was almost the only sport I could play when I was a kid because all you need is a glove and a pair of cleats. Three, two, one, go! 
Chris is a five-time winner of the BC Strongman competition. His sights are now set on winning the Canadian Strongman, where his best finish has been a third. A top two performance next month, and he'll earn himself a coveted and lucrative Strongman Pro card. For me personally, it means a lot. It means it's like a big achievement in my life. Um, but just like lifting, there's I always say is there's always more room on the bar whenever someone says, oh, you got a lot of plates there, but there's still room on the bar, there's still room on the bar. Um, so with the pro card as well, it just opens up a new opportunity for me to achieve more and push myself to higher limits. Jay Janower, Global Sports. If I tried to lift that kind of weight, for one thing, I'd be two feet shorter. And secondly, my spine would shoot out my yeah. back and go right through the wall. So impressive. Man, is that unbelievable. Good, good luck, Chris. And, uh, you know, he almost looks like he could get a role in Game of Thrones or something. <laughs> that, that, yeah. Yeah, it might be something in the future. Yeah. All right, thanks very much, Squire. Here's Andrew now with a preview of Global News at 11. Thanks, Chris. And we'll have more on that frightening story of a bear that wandered into a Gibson's home, trapping the young family in a bedroom. The bear did not leave until a neighbor punched it in the nose. We will hear directly from the family. Plus, U.S. President Donald Trump has just wrapped up a nationally televised speech. We'll have more on his plans for U.S. military involvement in Afghanistan. That's all coming up tonight at 11 o'clock. All right, sounds good. Thanks very much, Anne. When we come back, gowns fit for the paper bag princess at the PNE. That's next. Coming up on ET Canada, Hollywood remembers comedy legends Jerry Lewis and Dick Gregory. Plus, Britney Spears fires back at her critics who claim she lip syncs. And Gene Simmons takes on Bieber and the Jenners. That's coming up at 7 right after the news hour. Back to you, Chris. Thank you very much, Ross. All right, uh, PNE is dark right now, closed on Monday, but uh, Squire, you spent some quality time there, and there's some very talented people showcasing their talents. Well, this, I always forget the name of the buildings at the Showmart form, whatever. Mm -hmm. But you know when you come in, if you come in on the Renfrew and Hastings corner mm -hmm. and enter yeah. that way, the first building has quite an interesting exhibit from Langara College, design students who have turned beautiful dresses that you would see on a runway into beautiful dresses that, well, they're different. I'll show you how. <laughs> Here we go. This exhibit is called Brown Paper Couture, the most elegant of outfits recreated using nothing but... We let them use four different weights of, of brown paper, uh, cardboard, uh, tissue, drafting tissue. Um, this is glue gun, if you can believe that, to make the jewelry. Yeah. This little detail here... Aquino used glue gun. It's a yearly project for Langara design students, and they have only four weeks to pick a design and then duplicate it. Paper is not fabric, so it's a completely different uh, uh, way of handling it and, and, and manhandling it. For example, this intricately designed dress was redone with the same materials a moving company would use to pack your furniture. Um, for my dress, I use brown paper, and then I also use uh, brown um, paper uh, tape, and I put it on top, and then I start doing layers and layers and cut them in a perfect shape so they can create that um, perfect line. And the secret to this one's success? This is packing tape. Packing. With, oh, this with, is tape? Yeah, it's packing tape with glitter, 
and then I, I scrambled. Scrum <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then cut it. Yes. And make a different, well, the shape that it was in the original one. Um, these, Abby used a, a hole punch. I won't make her yeah. make all those flowers, but that's 1,116 thumbtacks and flowers on that wow. dress. Um, this is coffee filters that uh, Vika has used. But if you think building these dresses is tough, try this. What happens to them after they've been displayed? I, uh, <laughs> I make them take them apart. So, they take them apart? Yes, yes. They don't get to take them home? No, I'm afraid not. It's short-lived, it's only of the moment. And so yeah, they take them apart and I give them lots of time and I put on some nice music, you know? But it's the process of retiring them and, and, and putting them right. away because I have the next lot of kids.